Hello and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter, at Dino Game Theory. This is episode 31, an April Fool's Day episode. Uh, let's roll. Yeah, April 1st. Well, this comes out on April 2nd, so you guys will uh, certainly be have April Fool's behind you. You'll have the George Kittle going to Jacksonville behind you. You'll have... Uh, all that stuff behind you. I guess uh, Mina Kimes got 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 caught on uh, on live television uh, buying that one. So April Fool's always fun. My my daughter, uh, this is this is fun. This is not good. My daughter's given us. You know, we're, we're having some snacks this afternoon, and uh, she comes out with these little cookies, and she goes, "Dad, this one's a uh, pistachio flavored. Do you think you'd like that?" I'm like, "Sure, give me the fucking cookie." You know. So I eat the cookie. I'm like, it's a little spicy. I don't really know why it, you know, it was spicy. She goes, that's because I put um, toothpaste in it, and I ate the entire cookie with toothpaste instead of the whatever the filling was. I mean, this is this is what April Fools is for a seven year old. It was she definitely got me. But if I die tomorrow because you're not supposed to ingest toothpaste, uh, you'll know what happened. Uh, but uh, but in any event, I know you didn't. Uh, tune in to hear any uh, April Fool's jokes of me eating toothpaste. So uh, without further ado, I wanted to introduce my guest. We have a pretty good show today. We're, we're uh, this guy's standing on my street corner, so I'm going to have to duke it out with him. Uh, you know, Mr. Dino Game Theory going up against uh, Mr. Analytics of, of Dynasty. Uh, I'm not too comfortable having him on the show. I mean, let's face it. This is this is my street corner, so we're going to fight it out. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, today I've got Jordan McNamara. You may know Jordan. Uh, he he is uh, at McNamara Dynasty on Twitter. Uh, analytics of Dynasty, really smart guy. So unfortunately, he's going to make me look real stupid today. But that's all right. Jordan, what is going on, my man? Yeah, we're on the same street corner, but we're we're friendly neighbors. We're not we're not you know we're it's the it's the when you get the the film and the analytics guy on the same corner. That's when that's when you get some hostility. But we're we're friendly neighbors. We're it good. is true. I I can remember you know sort of getting into this space and thinking you were really sharp from the beginning. So uh, at every, at every point, I've definitely had some respect for you. And, and you're right. We, I don't even think we've ever had a, a crossword with each other. Maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm the receipt King. I'm sure I could find some or I could just do some. We'd just have some, let's just, let's start calling each other names. No, I'm just kidding. I do respect you. And I think we're gonna have a great show, but uh, you know, you, you kind of did uh, basically a book. I mean, like I said, the dude is smart. Who's writing books these days. No, I'm just kidding. But he wrote the book uh, analytics of dynasty and, and what's interesting about that is that, you know, he's basically an accomplished person where I have I have kind of written a book. I haven't gotten all the way there, but a lot of the ideas that are that I that I've seen in in your uh writings are things I've thought of and and some of them are 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 sort of a little bit different than things that I've thought, but tell tell the listeners a little bit about it and uh you know what your what your impetus was for for you know writing what you wrote. Yeah, so so this is so I'm on book three at this point, and the first one was really a you know it's been a yearly it's basically been a yearly project, and the first one uh, was was an, essentially a DFS research project, and I got into I got into playing DFS, and I just wanted to have a better idea on data, uh, so I went and did a huge deep dive. I'm I'm a dynasty player at heart, but I you know found some value in in playing DFS if I sort of knew what I was doing, and so I did all this, this research on, on it. And it just kept coming back to me, like all these dynasty findings. And that's just the lens at which I was looking at the data. Uh, and so that, 
you know, generated into some notes and the notes got piled on top of each other. And all of a sudden it was like 40 pages long and I had the outline of a book. And so that's kind of how it started. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's each year has been a little bit different. Um, and so the second one, you know, that, that one, uh, you know, they're evergreen things. They're not, they're not meant to be, uh, you know, Hey, pick this player for 2021 right. type things. It's, uh, purposefully not that way. Uh, and it's meant to be, you know, evergreen and strategy and, and, and those sorts of things. And, you know, each year is a little bit different and how I look at it, uh, and, and, and how, you know, the different ideas that I focus on. So like in this one, I focused a lot on, you know, each year has some strategy aspect to it. Uh, this year, you know, I focus more on, I really think that profiles matter more than players do. Sure. And so that way you're trying to pick, you're trying to pick player profiles that are really successful and, and then pick players that reflect those profiles instead of trying to pick players, you know, just, just ad hoc. I think that's, that's a very difficult strategy to do, but if you sort of know what to look for and know what to avoid, I think you're just naturally improving your hit rate. So, you know, that's a lot of what I look at. And then, you know, and, and I, I think there's a ton of opportunity to do that. And I think that there's a ton of opportunity too, when you, when you're just looking at players and when you're looking at profiles and then you see them trading at massively different prices, right. That arbitrage opportunity opens up. So that's a lot of, a lot of what I do in terms of dynasty. And, you know, and I, I think about, uh, you know, and I think we'll talk about some of this stuff, but you know, it's a lot about team building strategy and, and I think there's a lot of narratives out there that uh, drive dynasty strategies that just frankly are not true. And when you sort of know that, it's a very powerful information to, uh, you know, to harness and weaponize. Really. Oh, I love that. Give me give me an example of one of those sort of tropes that you think are just not true that drive a lot of narrative and ideas on Twitter or, you know, in in dynasty leagues themselves. Yeah. I mean, you know, one, one thing that I consistently see is, um, you know, I, I could give you a couple, um, you know, consistency, people shoot for consistency. Uh, and I've in two different books, I've looked at it in multiple different ways and there is no benefit right. to having a more consistent team. There is zero benefit. <laughs> right. Um, and so zero, there is no relationship between how consistent your team is and how it performs zero, zero correlation. That's right. And so when you think about that, like, that's a very powerful thing to know because those players, the, the narrative, the boom bust narrative this. guys, they, they trade at massively discounted prices. Yes. Um, and you just sort of reject that premise and take the discount and it, you just love it. Um, so that's one of them. And the other thing I think is that people get, you know, just get over their skis on is rostering wide receivers. And when you sort of look at the wide receiver position generally, it's generally boom bust um, in terms of, you know, someone posted a picture today, just today. Uh, I think it was someone from Rotoviz, and it was like, Hey, who's, you know, is this player good or bad? And it showed like, you know, a bunch of boom weeks and it showed a bunch of bus weeks and like the boom weeks, there was like eight or nine or maybe 10 of them, something like that. And I was like, this person's a smashing success. Right. I was like, I don't know who it is, but the, I, I would love to have that player. <laughs> you know, it was like 10 games, like as, as a wide receiver one or two, I was like, I'd love to have that player. And it was DeAndre Hopkins. Right. And it was just one of those things like that's a, that's a narrative. That's pretty bad. Uh, you know, that boom bust narrative. But the other thing is in terms of rostering wide receivers, people overdo it in terms of, you know, whether they're trying to protect future valuation. Um, I think, I think people uh, overestimate the, you know, the likelihood that receivers actually make a difference uh, and, you know, in the likelihood that they actually preserve market valuation. You know, I think the biggest thing that maybe I've found in all of my research is that once you get outside the, 
uh, you know, I did the fifth round in start one. So if you sort of converted that, it's like the top outside the top, like 75 in a normal year outside the top 75 in a startup draft, uh, from then on wide receiver is not the better bet than running back. Um, those receivers do not preserve their market value better. Um, and they do not outproduce running backs, running backs outproduce them, uh, from a lot of different metrics and they're, they're not, uh, you know, there's, I, I guess there's a case you could say that they actually preserve their market value better, but they absolutely uh, don't perform worse than wide receivers and they outperform them. So that's a big thing. When you see these, you see a lot of these rosters that have, you know, three, four X wide receivers to running backs. Like that's a massive inefficiency that people are, are, are just dealing upon themselves. So, um, that's really the big one that I would sort of, uh, you know, I, I would sort of push back against. Well, you're pushing back against me on that one for sure. The first one you don't. I, I love the the idea that, um, you know, the boom bust thing. It's because if you knew when they were booming and when they were busting, then there would be value to it. But because you have no idea when it is, you can't tell me, it, you know, which week is going to be the Amari Cooper or Tyreek Hill up or down week. You just don't know. So, you know, whether, you know, and, and I've argued this before. It's like, okay, so Amari goes – you know, he has a 30 point game and a two point game. Well, did you win or lose which game? I don't know. Like, you know, if you, if you score 80 and your opponent scores 120, it didn't matter if you had 30 or two. If you, if you scored 120 and your opponent scored 118, you know, that, and you won because he had that 30 point game, you're glad he wasn't consistent because he consistency would have, you would have lost. So, yeah, like the right. point is the randomness of when they score those points is not predictable, planable, or anything that you can really say, oh, I know when it's going to happen. So it's just, you're hoping that the cumulative total of your 10 guys is going to outscore the other 10 guys in general. And, and if you have good players who score a lot of points, that's good. And, and Amari Cooper is a great example because everybody says he's up and down. And while that's true on a weekly basis, it's not really true at all on an annual basis. You look at him annually, yes. and he's a metronome. He puts up – he's going to do it again. He's going to have 80 catches, 1,200 yards, and eight touchdowns. Anybody want to make a bet? Like that's what he's going to do yeah. unless he gets hurt. Yeah. That's a that Lock it in. Right. It's happening already. It's yes. done. So when he gets those 80, 1,208, I don't know. But he's going to get them. Um, to go to your second point, I, I, I do push back a little bit. And so <clears throat> I don't – I've always said that in order to win in, in Dynasty or in any fantasy football league, you do need running backs. Um, there's no doubt. You need to have running backs to score points. Otherwise, it's going to be almost impossible. I mean, unless it's a super deep league, super flex, you know, six-point touchdown quarterback, et cetera, et cetera, where now all of a sudden if you have a deep roster of wide receiver tight end and two stud quarterbacks, maybe you can hide running back. But most standard leagues are two, two, a couple flex, whatever, right? So if it's anything sort of like that, then you're going to need some stud running back because you're going to be going up against them because the best teams will likely have them. That being said, the research that I that I see all the time and that 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 what I've seen is that running backs tend to have shorter shelf lives in general. They generally churn a bit more. Now the elite ones can last a little bit longer, but they in general don't. And then the other part of that is that they cost more, right? So, you know, you generally have to buy those guys in a startup in the first and second round whereas, you know, you can get as you point out these top 75 players you're not, you know, the, the dead zone, so to speak, for running backs. That's the lifeline zone for wide receivers. So I can trade sort of back and back and back, build a, a, a trove of top 70 players, 
Um, I may not have those elite running backs, but I'll, I'll get them over time. Those running backs, I mean, those wide receivers will last. I'll go from there. Now, I'll, I'll interrupt myself real quick because just this week, I had someone who was basically trying to implement that strategy, which I've, I've you know, certainly uh, pushed a great deal. And they, they, uh, they were asking, hey, should I trade my, my 1.05, the startup pick, the fifth pick overall, and move back, get a second and a third, and this, that, and the other? And I, and I said, well, maybe. It wasn't a great value. And then I said, hey, show me the roster, the starting roster. And it was a, it was a super flex, but it was start one running back, start one wide receiver, start one tight end. I think only like two flex and two super flex. So it was like start eight total. I was like, do not do that trade. Don't, mm-hmm. you should be trading up. You're only starting eight guys like trade up right. because you don't need deep bench. And it was a short, shortened bench too. So it was, it was just one of those things where it's like knowing what you're, you know, I think, and this, you can speak to this in your book, because for me, anytime you're going into a league, first thing I'm looking at is, is, is starting lineup size, roster size and scoring. From there, I'll build my strategy around what it takes to win that league. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that, and I think that's the place you should always start is the is is with the scoring and the settings, and I think that there's a lot of value there and really studying that and understanding it. Um, I I would say just as a as a sort of to clarify, I think in the top seventy five, um, in a general year, um. So in an average year, in a normal year, you know, and I, and I sort of measured that over the last like 13 years of data, right? So we've gone through big running back upticks. We've gone through running back down ticks. We've gone through wide receiver. You know, we've gone, we've seen the, the whole cycle. In an average normal year, um, I think that the wide receiver early strategy is the right one. Um, and, and for a couple of reasons, um, because early in a startup draft, so, you know, I'll call it the top 75 in that range of the draft, what you will see is wide receivers do preserve their value a little bit better. Um, and they, they have better, uh, they have about equal hit rates. Okay. Um, you know, one of the metrics that I use is warp, uh, which is wins over replacement player. What you'll see is that, that, um, receivers in that range will have a little bit lower warp, uh, and so, you know, and that's the true impact. That's how many wins that the player, that the receiver will produce that's very true. That's a little bit lower than the running yeah. back on average. Um, but what you'll see is there's not as much, right. They're playing in a tighter range of outcomes. And, and one of the things that you said earlier in the, the first part of the conversation, I think is really relevant is like that consistency year to year. So that Amari Cooper consistency year to year, right. The Mike Evans, the, the Brandon right. cooks, right. Right. Those guys that you're just going to like, all right, I'm going to roll them out. Like, and I don't really care, right? Assuming they're healthy, like my, my goal is to get, like, I, I'm going to start them. You know, if I have Amari Cooper, Mike Evans, and, and Brandon Cooks, in a, and they're healthy for 13 weeks, I'm going to, they're going to get 36 starts, most likely, right? Because I'm not going to play anyone over them because I sort of know what they are. They're going to have one bye. And I'm just going to sort of accept what they do for me over the course of a season and know that the variance doesn't really matter. Here's, here's, let me, let me, uh, let me go real quick. So yeah. the Brandon Cooks one is the best one, right? Because, all right, wherever, like just go back one year, go back two years, maybe even three years. So three years ago, what was Brandon Cooks' ADP? It wasn't that high, actually, because he wasn't viewed as elite. Same thing with two years ago, same thing with one year ago. If you go back, and I, I, you know, I'm not doing this, but if you were to, and look at the running backs drafted in Dynasty in and around Brandon Cooks 
three years ago, they're all out of the league. <laughs> I, I guarantee you all of them are gone. And, and, and Brandon Cooks is still now, he's like 27. I think he's going to be 27 this year. Maybe his 28-year-old season. Like He's still on the edge of his prime, and he's going to be the WR1 in, in, uh, for his own team. And if mm-hmm. he were a running back, he would be a backup player at this point. He's not one of the 30 best you know, running backs, but somehow or another, he's going to get 100 to 120 targets. It's going to be unbelievable. And so yeah. I, I use the Marvin Jones corollary. I said if Marvin Jones was a mm-hmm. was a running back, he'd be out of the league. Like he wouldn't even be in. Yep. But he got another contract. He's going to be valuable again at age 32. That just does not th- that that type of archetype. You know, the closest thing is Frank Gore, and nobody was playing mm-hmm. Frank Gore. Like, yeah, he was right. somewhat relevant, but nobody was starting him at any point in a flex or anywhere. If you were, you were losing. Uh, but you were winning maybe with, you know, Marvin Jones in a deep, deep, deep league, uh, starting him and getting some big weeks. So I think that's really the difference between, you know, wide receiver and running back. But I do think that when you bring it up, the the, the warp, the, the, that win over replacement, win over stream, you're absolutely right. If you don't have access to those top, top uh, level running backs, you're going to have a hard time, a hard time winning. See, I, I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, and so I, I think that you can actually replicate it. Um, and one of the things, the difference between running back and wide receiver is the variance in, in running back is predictable. Whereas at wide receiver, we're not good at predicting it. And so what I mean by that is like, it was very easy to replicate. Like you could get a, a essentially a one and a half warp season last year out of the following three players. Uh, Mike Davis, Wayne Gallman, and Giovanni Bernard, right? If you stack them together and they were going outside the, like comfortably outside the top 150, comfortably outside of the top 200 in most leagues last year, um, from that depth, you could, you could realistically have gotten, if you did it right, a win and a half over replacement out of those three. And that's, that's something you just can't do at wide receiver, Right, you, the hit rates out there are super rare. It's it's really difficult to predict it. And we knew what weeks to start Mike Davis. They were there were weeks that McCaffrey was Bingo. out. Yeah. We knew what weeks to start Giovanni Bernard because it was weeks that Mixon was out. And we know what weeks to start Wayne Gallman because it's it's when um, you know he didn't initially get the job, but ultimately it was his job. And you sort of package those things together, uh, and and the, like that's something that you can actually replicate. Right. And so actually one of the more overrated to me, one of the more overrated profiles is like the, the fringe running back one. Right. Because I think if you, that's actually, you can, you can replicate that over, uh, over the course of a season just by playing spot starts and, and by building it, which you can't do at wide receiver. It's, it's a lot harder to do that because you're, you're getting, you know, the range at which you're flexing guys, they might be a five or six, uh, you know, th- like for a Marvin Jones, for example, like I love Marvin Jones, but five or six games might be like top 24 games. Whereas like, so to sort of predict the, that which game it's going to be, it's almost entirely touchdown based. And that's really tough to predict. And what you're doing at running back is predicting something totally different, yes. which is usage, opportunity, right? Right. Which is, which is <laughs> usage. And, and we sort of know what those are, you know, my logo for the analytics of dynasty is quite literally Latavius Murray's 2019 stat line. It's the graph of his stat right. line. Embrace the variance because in a two week span in 2019, he was the running back one. 
and he was a running back one by 10 points over the running back two. And if you sort of extrapolated that out over the course of a season, that was a better pace than McCaffrey was on. And McCaffrey, I don't know if he ended up finishing at or above David Johnson's 2015 season, but that was, or I think it was the 2015, so whatever the David Johnson huge season was, I think it was 2015 or 16, whatever that season was, McCaffrey was at or just about above it. And in a two-game span, Latavius Murray was was better than that. Again, you weren't playing him the whole season, but if you sort of built your roster to try and capture that, which is we're just going to try and capture spot starts at running back uh, on the back end and use them as flex starts or use them in your running back spot, that's a massive upside situation. And when you sort of look at the flip side of it too, essentially every uh, over the over the first three years of a startup draft, for every running back that you draft instead of a wide receiver, on average, you'll produce about a... Uh, um, about uh, between one and two tenths of a win better, right? So when you sort of go from, and that's on average, and it actually lifts your ceiling. So when you sort of go from rostering, you know, you see some of these running, you know, the five running back, 10 wide receiver builds, right? Or I used in the book uh, in the 2020 edition, I used the example of like uh, 16, a combined 16 guys. So four running backs to 12 wide receivers all the way through 12 running backs to four wide receivers. What you see is your floor, massively upticks with every running back you take and your ceiling goes up too. And, and your, and your average goes up, everything goes up. And so when you sort of look at that, like that's, there's a lot of value there in sort of building your roster a little bit different. And that's one of the things, you know, I I think later on, uh, you know, we overestimate the hit rate at wide receiver, which is a big mistake and the outside the top, you know, outside the top hundred, for example. And, and you know the what what counts as a hit for running back you know that that Giovanni Bernard that Wayne Gallman right those those massively outproduced their their costs massive sure but right? it, incredible but hits here's the that thing range. but that's not that's not a top twenty four season yeah and and your point is taken uh, Wayne Gallman has a weekly ceiling that is much higher than the weekly ceiling of whatever wide receiver you're taking, but his floor is, Mm -hmm. is zero, right? It's if Saquon doesn't get hurt, he doesn't play. And that's kind of, that's kind of the idea is that, you know, and, and one other thing too, I would imagine that, that, that the data that you pulled was not three years down the road too, right? It's that one year. Um, Not to say that it isn't a dynasty take. I understand that, that there's probably some nuance there. No, it's three years. It's three years. It increases your it increases your wins by, and again that's stupid. Like I say, that's like stupid data, right? That is that's data that doesn't know better, right? That's data that doesn't know that I don't know, um, you know that that um, uh, that someone gets cut from their team and isn't playing in the NFL, right? And that's counting their they're basically their zero, right? That's not that's not <laughs> knowing that you could cut some of those players. Right. And you could sort of improve on just the the dumb random selection, which is which is the data that I used. But, yeah, it's over the it's over the three years, almost by any measure outside of that top 75. Like and I've I've really tried to disprove myself like because I because every when and this is the thing I think about analytics that's really important is when you get data that's different. Um, and so like, like Trevor Lawrence is a good example of this. Like, I don't see the case that everyone's making for Trevor Lawrence. I just can't figure it out. And through the numbers. And when you like, sort of look at that, like, I'm really open to the idea. I'm wrong. Like, I'm really trying to figure out how, what I'm missing that everyone else is seeing, 
or, you know, and, and so I have spent a ton of time trying to disprove myself because, because that's just sort of the, that's just sort of my mentality on these things is if I'm different, I'm either different and that's good or I'm different and I'm wrong. and I don't want to be wrong, you know, and, and really trying to dial down on it. And, and ultimately like it comes back to, it comes back to, you're trying to protect things that, that are ultimately not really uh, realistic, which is protecting market value out there and the sort of usability of the players, right? And the usability of the players, it, it's, it's, yes, Wayne Gallman will sit on your bench, but if you sort of build it so that your, your bench has eight guys that are like Wayne Gallman, the odds are massively in your favor that you're going to have an asymmetric outcome. And that's a huge, that's, that's really the huge impact. Yeah. I, I, I retweeted a, a tweet I sent a year ago and these are the running backs that I, so last year I said, you know, before the draft, it was almost a year ago today. It, it was, it was March 30th last year. And I, and I, I said, running backs whose value uh, would tank if their team drafts one of the big four. And that was Taylor Swift, Dobbins or Akers. Let me just read this list of running backs to you and tell me which of these guys, there's a couple, but let me ask which, which of these guys you're excited to own. James Connor, Le'Veon Bell, Marlon Mack. Sony Michelle, Devin Singletary, uh, David Johnson, uh, Damian Williams, Monty, Carrion Johnson, Todd Gurley, Mostert, Daryl Henderson, Kenyon Drake. Like, there's just a lot of lot of bad news there. It's a lot of bad news, and so I don't know. I'm not going to refute your data, but I will tell you that those people holding those assets right now would have much rather have taken a wide receiver in those spots next year like isn't that the top 75 of the draft sure those are all top 75 right last year right right which is a spot where i would be okay okay, gotcha gotcha gotcha. so we're yeah we're kind of saying the same thing i think right fair enough i think the difference is outside of that 75 bingo yeah Yeah. i would i I mean and honestly montgomery would be one that i would love to have had (laughs) and there's there are some names in there that i would have loved to have had well wait a minute you wouldn't though because now like Monty is not Monty's one of them. Okay, Monty is probably the best one. The mm-hmm. other one I left off that I put in the list was was Chris Carson, who did survive. Mm-hmm. But my my whole mm-hmm. point of uh, of of running backs versus wide receivers was it's like even Amari Cooper, right? Like if Amari Cooper were a running back, he'd be nearly worthless at this point. Why? Because they drafted C.D. Lamb, and you're not going to draft mm-hmm. C.D. Lamb and then sit him. You know, you're not going to draft. It's the Marlon Mack. Jo- they did. <laughs> they they sat who? <laughs> <laughs> he said he was the wide receiver three for their team by like a three game distance in terms of snaps. Like it wasn't even hit the usage on him is quizzical. I don't get it. No, he was, he was a top 10 wide receiver till Dak got hurt. I mean, well, he, I think, but he played like three games less of snaps than, than Gallup did. Like when you sort of, when you average it out, like it is a, it is a, he's an alarming player. Um, CD Lamb's an alarming. It's his his profile is alarming right now because if if that's going to continue, um, I don't know how we're going to get the ceiling that people are paying for him. Wow. That's, well, he's that's my wide receiver really one, so that tells you where I'm at with him. He was the he was the third most snapped wide receiver on that team. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a it's a it's an alarming red flag to me. I, yeah, I'm not alarmed. I am not alarmed. Okay. What 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 is the what is the correlation there that he he played a little less than two entrenched starters who were very good. And, and, and on, on fewer snaps, he outplayed Gallup by quite a bit. Oh, he did. There's no doubt. He outplayed Gallup. Um, I, I think it's a, I think it's an uncertainty. Like he was, he was, he had a good season. Don't get me wrong. Um, 
there's uncertainty there. Um, and so one of the things I wrote about in the book is I think, I, I think generally speaking, I, I, uh, come at dynasty with a great deal of, I don't know, which is, um, you know, I, I, the, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know and we're playing a game that we don't control. So, you know, poker is a good example for a lot of things in dynasty. Uh, but one of the things with poker that you can do is you can control the outcome to some degree, right? You can't, you know, maybe you can't force a person to fold or maybe you can't force their cards, but you can play them. You have, you have some impact over the outcome in terms of, in terms of the usage, in terms of some of the behaviors that are made in dynasty, we don't. And so what we're doing with dynasty is we're, we're reacting to information. And what we see on the field is, you know, I did the math. It's, it's a minuscule percentage of a player's life. And when you sort of think about that, um, you know, we are only seeing a very small amount of what coaches are seeing, and we're seeing an even smaller amount of, of what the, the player's life is. And so we have to think about that critically, right? And so one of the things with the guy like CD Lamb that I think about is, you know, there are, there are rational reasons for why he was the wide receiver three on their team. He had two guys that were entrenched starters ahead of him. Um, or there's other explanations for it too, which is, hey, he couldn't grasp the playbook, right? He, they didn't feel that he was, that, you know, that, that what they drafted him for, he could actually do, right? There's, there's other reasons there that are uncertainties. I don't know what the answer is. Um, and I'm not going to purport to say that I do, but just when you look at that profile, I think that there's questions about it. Whereas you, you see a guy like Justin Jefferson, like, I don't think there's like, he kind of disproved most questions that we could have. And, you know, that's a, that's a different thing, right? That's, that's something that's, that's very different. Um, and so those usage things, you know, the, the, we go back and, you know, the Kenyon Drake usage, right? The, the Lamar Miller example is always a classic one, right? Lamar Miller, when he was in Miami, everyone was screaming for them to give him more touches. He goes to Houston, gets more touches, and then everyone calls him inefficient. And, you know, who, who kind of knew that, you know, the, the free agent changing teams, right? Like Detroit just lets Kenny Galladay walk out the building and then the giants paid him $40 million guaranteed. Like, I don't know, that would ring alarm bells to me because they've seen his medical records and that's the big question about it. You know what I mean? So when we see these things where there's, where there's uncertainty, I think we have to be a little bit, have to be a little bit careful because there's so much information that we don't know. Does T Higgins give you the same feelings? Yes. I mean, you look at T Higgins, like there's a very real chance that they take a wide receiver ahead of him. Well, that's you know, possible. That they take a wide receiver. I think that, I think yeah. that kind and of so, be a mistake, but that's besides the point, I guess. You're, you're right. Obviously, if they take Jamar Chase, that's a problem, yeah. I guess, for T Higgins. That, that would be the only real big problem I'd have. I, in my opinion, they should be taking, you know, either Slater or Sewell, but you know, what the hell do I know? I mean, I would, I would, I probably wouldn't have taken Henry Ruggs over Tristan Wirth. So, you know, I, we all make, mis- we all make mistakes, you know, obviously <laughs> Ruggs was the right choice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, like I, I looked in the, in, um, it's funny that you use the T Higgins example because, you know, T Higgins and Brandon Ayuk are actually two players that are kind of linked in this conversation is like, who do you like? And I think the answer is clearly Brandon Ayuk for, um, to me, because you look at he's insulated, right? And the odds a the historically the chance that a uh, wide receiver drafted in the first round has their team select someone higher in the draft the next year, it's happened three percent of the time. Uh, for second round guys, it's twenty percent. 
So, and again, and so you sort of say, wow, that's, that's a huge difference for the first round guy over the next three years, over the first three years of their career, they've been, they've had a wide receiver selected over them with, with superior pedigree 10% of the time. That's half of the odds of a guy in, uh, in the second round, getting someone drafted higher than them just the next year. Um, so when you think about that, like that's a massive, that's a massive uncertainty. So some people are paying really high cost for T Higgins. I don't know. Um, and so Brandon Ayuk is like almost completely insulated at this point because they don't have the picks to spend on someone. Right. I, I suppose. Like that's kind of, that's, that's, that's kind of the perverse thing about it. And so, um, yeah, I mean, so that's really the thing that I would think about. And you sort of, you look at that 20% number and, you know, a, a resource that I use a ton of is grinding the mocks and, you know, they, it's an aggregator of mock draft data and the number that they put on Jamar Chase. 20%. So that, that is a, it's an interesting corollary. And I think that number is only going to go up. And, you know, I think that puts us in, it puts T Higgins in a, in a place of peril that some of these other guys aren't in. It's possible. Um, I mean, I'm not that sure it hurts him though, because AJ Green saw, do you know, how, do you know how many targets AJ Green saw last year? Too many. Do you have a guess? Seriously, take a guess. If you don't know, cause it, I, I um, never would have guessed it. So it's not a gotcha question. He was averaging like eight a game for like a while. He was, while. that's true. So I'm going to guess it was like 100. It was 100. It was over 100. He was the least yeah. efficient wide receiver in the league. I think he only had like 40-something catches. I'm not looking at it. It was like 100. He had 47. I believe it was 47 catches on like 105 targets. It was mind-numbing, yeah. 109, something like that. It was unbelievable. Yeah. So my, I guess my point is, is that Tyler Boyd is there. He's not going anywhere. He's going to play a slot. Look, if they – get a better receiver who gets 120 targets out there. I don't know that T Higgins is necessarily hurt that much. He is hurt. Ceiling is hurt. I don't know mm-hmm. that he takes a step yeah. back too far, but I agree with you. That's definitely not good if they draft him. Uh, for Ayuk, I kind of feel a little bit the opposite, actually, because, yeah, they're probably not going to draft someone, but uh, George Kittle and Debo Samuel are, are good, and they're going to play this year. You know, I don't think – you'd have to look it up. I don't. I don't have it in front of me, but I don't think he played very much – with both of them on the field. I don't think he played maybe even one full game with them both on the field. And he definitely didn't play a full game with them both on the field healthy because when Debo came back, he wasn't right. I mean, that was clear. I mean, if you just, even by the numbers, he wasn't right. But if you watch the games, he wasn't right. So, you know, if Debo's Debo, they're going to find ways to get him the ball and Kittle demands targets. So I I think he's going to see more competition for targets one way or the other. Whether or not they bring in a, a rookie or not at any point, I don't think that necessarily moves the needle. But, you know, in terms of that's why I look at talent, because I think, you know, I'm not worried about CeeDee Lamb because he's already the best wide receiver on that team. Um, he may not be uh, he didn't play the most snaps, but, you know, that, that's one thing. Now, comparing anybody to Justin Jefferson is crazy because he was a complete outlier in his in that in that season. And I think that's actually more concerning because it's very unlikely that he replicates that level of efficiency. I think he was fourth or fifth in the league in um, you know yards per route run, which is obviously a huge metric that really shows uh, skill and talent. Um, but all the all these guys, Higgins, Ayuk, and, and CD were right in the you know one point seven, one point eight yards per target, which is very good. You know, it, you know, in the top uh, top percentile there. So I thought they were they were all very good. Um, and they kind of all dealt with subpar quarterback play. Uh, they all lost their quarterback. You know, Ayuk obviously ran through a bunch of different guys. Uh, Burrow got hurt and Dak got hurt. Not that Cousins is necessarily as good as those guys, but he's definitely pretty damn good. And he's well ahead of all the other backups. So 
Justin Jefferson did see less competition, only Adam Thielen, no, no other, no other wide receiver there to contend with. Whereas, you know, they all had uh, somebody else to contend with. So I, I think there's some other factors that go into it. So I just look for talent, uh, sort of look for the signs that that talent is, is still holding true. And, and for me, CD's that guy. Now, is it possible that he sees some issues? Maybe, but I, I you know, I just don't think so. I think that, uh, I think that it is, uh, you know, when, when CD went to uh, Dallas, I said, well, this kind of hurts all three of them to some degree, at least it limits their upside, you know, because n- none of them can have 150, 160 target season unless someone gets hurt because it just doesn't really math out. Uh, it, it just can't, you know, they're, they're all too good to sort of at least get 80, 90 targets. And I, I sort of surmise that they'd all get between a hundred um, and, and 120, which really limited the ceilings for all three of them. Um, and it kind of worked out similar to that. Um, but honestly, there was so much offense to go around there when Dak was playing that it didn't matter. Um, and CD was coming on. And, and I think when Dak got hurt, the whole game plan changed. I think they played less, you know, run and gun, obviously they tried to play a little bit more two wide receiver set. Um, so I, I just think that that was a wonky season, but I saw what I needed to see in those first four games with CD to, to not be, to not be worried. So if my simply just telling you not to be worried has eased your mind any, I hope it has. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, Listen, all these guys are interested. And, and the funny part about like the funny part about this conversation is that if we had gone back a year, right, or uh, let's call it ten months, right, so post NFL draft, sure. And you looked at Judy, you looked at Rager, you looked at CD Lamb, you looked at Justin Jefferson, the top four guys. You uh, know, maybe Jefferson wasn't a consensus wide receiver four, but I think the other guys were the the consensus top three, and then Jefferson sort of fell off the the back of that tier a little bit. He looked more much more like a next tier than he did as a part of a top four in terms of where he was going in drafts. If you had said that Kirk Cousins was going to be the best quarterback situation of that entire of that entire group, like no one would have believed you, right? Right, because he would have had to been better than Dak. He would have had to been better than uh, Drew Locke, which I guess could have been reasonable. Yes. And he would have been better than uh, Carson Wentz, which no one would have said. And ultimately, the best quarterback situation was the guy that was fourth, right, <laughs> in terms of ordering, right, and and the guy that was who was playing behind Ola B. C. Johnson through two weeks, right. That was the guy that ended up having the, the best situation. Uh, so one thing I tend to, you know, as we sort of look in this conversation about specific players, like pull back a little bit, we, again, the uncertainty factor, right? We're very bad at sort of predicting what situation is going to be. And that's a case in point. And that happens all the time, right? That happens all the time. Um, you know, people took Justin Jefferson rounds and rounds and rounds and rounds and startup data and startup drafts later than Burrow, right? I think I got, I think I got Herbert in like the eighth or ninth round of a startup draft last year. That was like four rounds behind Tua and like six or seven rounds behind Joe Burrow. And now he's the most valuable one. Yes. Right. Like we're not good at predicting, (laughs) predicting situation. And that would just be the, the, the source of, um, you know, of, of hesitancy that I have on some of these situations. And, and just, you know, when you think about profiles, when they're trading at massively different prices that I think you got to be really, really careful. Oh, I love this because this is exactly right. And, um, one of the things that I feel like is that, you know, uh, you know, I've got a little saying, it's like, be ready to be wrong, which is just like, you just can't, 
assume you're always going to be right about every player, um, you know, because you're probably not. And and being ready to be wrong allows you to 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 sort of turn on a dime. But to that end, you were talking about like this is a strategy I'll mention here and see what you think of this. So like for me going into this draft, I do have Jamar chase in his own wide receiver tier. And then after that, I have, uh, you know, a a few guys that are in the same tier last year. I had Jonathan Taylor as the RB one. And then I had, you know, Swift acres and Dobbins in their own little tier. Right. So with that being said, you know, if I had the, the, I'll just make it up the 103 and all three guys were on the board, Dobbins, Swift and Akers. And, and the guy at 105 would trade with me, you know, and pay me profit. I'd take that and let him make the choice. You know, I did that in the, uh, the CMC, uh, Dalvin Mixon, Fournette draft. And I ended up with Dalvin, you know, I traded from mm-hmm. back from the one, one to the one, two to the one. I just traded back, 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 ended up with Dalvin cook and that turned out to be correct, or at least correct enough. Like you know, I was, it's fine. It was hard to be wrong in that. Draft. Sure, but I mean, mixing and Fournette, <laughs> mixing and Fournette, not yeah. as much, right? So you know, I ended up with. Uh, I think I ended up with Kamara too. I did end up with Kamara, but um, in the second round, early second round. But point of the matter is, in that particular draft, I did that, and it worked. And 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 I would do that in other drafts, you know. And I would do that again in this draft. And that's sort of trading within tiers to let someone else make the choice, like. You know, mm-hmm. I did have CD ahead, but I would have traded. I, I had uh, I had Judy behind Jefferson, but I had Rager ahead of Judy as well. But um, so you know, I was right and wrong. But point of the matter is, mm-hmm. is if I would have let someone else choose, they might have cho- chosen Rager and Judy, which I'd have been fine with. And me take even Higgins, I'd have been fine. I, I would have been fine moving back in those moments. Now you don't want to move back so far that you're getting into a whole different tier, so to speak. But within tiers. What do you think about that strategy, and have you utilized that in the past? Yeah, I, th- I think that's um, I think that's the the proper play. And uh, you know, last year I had very um, I, I had I had a specific strategy. And each year, what I do is I kind of put together a rookie board, and you know, I have some metrics that I actually physically put on a board, and then it ends up becoming quite literally an index card, right? Of like, you know, I can have my index card in my hand and at any given moment kind of know exactly what I'm going to do in a draft because, you know, I sort of, you know, once I've done a couple, I just say, all right, like, here's kind of the order which I'm going to go. And right. It's, it, it just becomes kind of like clockwork. Um, one of the things that I, I have become each, you know, each year when I write the analytics of dynasty, there's stuff that I write and I was like, damn it. If I would have known this a year ago, like I'd be so much better off. Um, and the arbitrage thing's a huge thing. Right. And, and it, this comes into play in a little bit different way this year, but last year it was uh, wide receiver, right? First round wide receivers, ADP isn't predictive of how they do. Right. Nope. So when you think about that for a second, the market isn't better than random in terms of, picking out first round wide receivers. And when you think about that, that's pretty valuable information because you can say, Hey, we're not, you know, we're, we're jacking these guys up, you know, so, you know, and if one's going to fall, right. Like the, the falling guy is pretty interesting. The right. same thing's true with top 10 quarterbacks. The same thing's true with top 10 quarterbacks and Burrow to Herbert last year. There was, it was bingo. Um, 
too much of a spread. Right. And that's one, that's one thing that sort of, as I have searched more and more, that's something that I found this year that I would have absolutely done differently. Um, you know, and, and sort of, and sort of looked at that brings me to this year. And I, if I, if I say that's true last year and, and it's been true for the last, you know, 13 years, right. That's pretty valuable this year too, yep. because that, that one one isn't, isn't being drafted in the top 20. It's being drafted in the top 12, it is. right. That's a whole different strata. Yep. And you, you think about that. I mean, at that cost and that's so dangerous and what the spread is between, you know, just one Oh four, right. What this, what you could get from moving down from one Oh one to one Oh four. And uh, that's really interesting. I, I, you know, yeah. what's the, what's the cost from one Oh one to one Oh two. I think that's a pretty big Well, cost. I'll tell you right now. Um, I just made a trade in a dynasty league and it, and, and it's a, it's, it's a, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's an expert league. I don't know what the hell you want to call it, but I, I, let me just, let me tell you this trade I just made. Cause this is exactly what you're talking about. I, and I love this trade. Hold it, on. Here's the trade I made uh, with the, with the one Oh, one Oh two in a, in a, in a, in a rookie draft. I traded away the one Oh two, right. I traded away – it's a 14-team league. So I traded away the 102. I got the 105. So I went from 102 to 105, and then I gave up like the a 214 and the 32 and a 46, which to me are all just kind of nothing. And I got the 25 and a 22 first. So I think I, – so I got a, a, a 22 first, the 15, the 205, and I gave up the 102 and a – kind of a bunch of shit. You know what I mean? So like, I feel mm-hmm. like that's a huge win because I don't even know. I was kind of like tanking, like who's, who am I going to take at the one Oh, uh, at the one Oh two, you know? I mean, I think I know, but I'll let him choose for me and I'll get one of them at the one Oh five. And I've got a ton of value. Now, whoever's at the two Oh five might be a huge, you know, someone might slip there. It might be Jalen Waddle at the two Oh five. I mean, really, you know, it could be someone that mm-hmm. good. Like, so that, mm-hmm. that, that's a huge advantage. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of that. Like I'm not so cocky to think like, I know who to take it one, two, I I'll take them. Like, I'm pretty sure that I maybe I may be wrong. And even if I'm right, he may not be that much better than whomever I choose at the one Oh five and whoever I was going to take at the one Oh two might just be there at the one Oh five. So all of those scenarios mean take the profit. Yes. Yes. I, I agree with that. And I'm becoming much more, um, you know, I, I believe that and it's tough to believe that and then actually put it into practice when you have strong convictions about a player. Right. So last year, you know, in, in hindsight, I think, you know, I sat at one Oh one and took JT. I don't think it was the wrong decision, but I think, um, you know, if I had gone from one Oh one to one Oh four, and what else could I have gotten? Well, I probably could have gotten DeAndre Swift and Justin Herbert, right? Again, so if I'm just looking at profiles, I mean that that's something that that it, when you sort of look at those and and try and arbitrage them, well, I could take a one shot or I could take two, right? <laughs> and I think that's something that you know when you're sort of dealing with those types of assets is really interesting. Uh, and so I think this year, I mean, for me, I, I said I mentioned this earlier. I'm not sure what the I'm not sure what the elite case is for, for, uh, Lawrence on paper. Uh, I get it on, I get it on tape. You know, I've watched some tape. I sort of see it, uh, but he's not infallible. And the, the Andrew Luck comp, uh, isn't, isn't an infallible one. 
right? And I think that's one of the things that people, uh, you know, way smarter at me than than uh, at quarterbacks, you know, people that are way smarter at quarterbacks than I am, ha- have sort of hit on, which is that Andrew that Andrew Luck moniker didn't mean perfection, right? It meant very good. It meant it meant the best prospect, but not an infallible one, right? And we sort of saw that, right? It was good, but it wasn't Hall of Fame level, and the the idea at this point to try and think that 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 uh, Trevor Lawrence in a in a year that has just seen the youngest top six and the youngest top twelve this century uh, on average of of the quarterback ages, I mean that he's going to crack that is a huge ask. Right, we're not dealing with with a a quarterback situation that's uh, that's very. Um, you know, that, that starved for young guys where you could sort of make that case for taking Lawrence that early, you might as well just wait and take a very similar bet and take it later and take it for, you know, plus that you're getting. I mean, that's one of the things I think with this draft that I think is really compelling strategy. And, you know, I believe that data that we're really bad at predicting quarterbacks and that's held pretty true. And I, I, I don't, you know, if someone had it figured out, right. Like we would know that's right because right teams would have done it and done it right. Like there's every, I mean, maybe, maybe the NFL isn't the right position to do it in and be or in the right sport to do it in. Cause they're, they're not the analytics forethought. Um, but there's so much money wrapped up in the quarterback position that if someone would have figured out the magic formula, it would have been figured out already is sort of my, sort of my take. Yeah. And, you know, we're not performing better than random amongst those guys. And that's, that's pretty valuable information. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm no analytics guru. I, I, you know, some people will certainly bucket me into analytics guys and I appreciate that. And, and I do lean on analytics more than I lean, lean on, you know, my gut. I don't swing from the hip, you know, but I, I do want a firm foundation. And so that led me to try and figure some things out. I listen to smart people like JJ Zacharyson who are able to take that data and, translate it into English, right? They're able to take geek and tell it to me in English and it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, looking at, you know, certain, um, certain bits of data will tell you which ones are predictive, etc. And that, that led me to try to figure some of that out with the anatomy series. I'm sure you've seen of mine, uh, you know, the anatomy of a, of an elite running back, the anatomy of it. And, and that's not necessarily predictive analytics. Uh, that is identification, and for me, it's a way to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, what do these players look like? You know, what do elite top tier running backs look like? What are some of the characteristics so that you're not looking at somebody thinking because they're fun and they're cool? Know when you're betting on an outlier. So the long story short here is that, you know, with running backs, it's very like easy. It's not easy, but it's easy to identify. They all are very similar. They are almost always over 205 or 210 pounds. They're almost always early declares. They're almost always a upper percentile, above a 75 percentile speed score. Not always. Almost always these types of things, right? They're almost always early producers. Um, you know, all these things. They're almost always uh, had, a, had a 20 or more receptions in any given college season. All these things are like, oh, well, you know, that's pretty easy. So when you see some of these uh, elite college backs it's like well that 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 guy fits with quarterback it's the most mercurial position to try and figure out because mm-hmm. a lot of these guys you know Tom Brady Matt Ryan uh 
the analytics didn't like him, but yet they got drafted. I mean, you know, look at Josh Allen didn't have completion percentage. Shit, he didn't have completion percentage in his first two seasons in the NFL. And all of a sudden he was an MVP candidate last year. So you're 100% right. The quarterback position is such a tough one to get right. And that's why there's so many busts both in real NFL and then, of course, for us in, in fantasy. Because obviously if your quarterback is, you know, Mariota or – Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen or Jameis Winston, and they were the first two picks of, you know, people have such revisionist history. Like they, they, they saw this coming. No, they were taking Jameis 1.01. They were taking all these guys right off the bat, you know, and that's just how it goes. I'm not, that's not making me smarter. Well, a little bit smarter just to know that I'm usually going to be wrong and I'm going to have great opportunities to be wrong. You know, Tua over Herbert, like literally everybody had Tua over Herbert. Now maybe that right. will prove to be wrong next year. It's possible, but in the in this time, ev- literally everybody was wrong about that. Now I'm not saying two is bad. I'm just saying Herbert was way better than we thought. I don't know what the hell you want me to do about it, right? You know, it's like that's just right. the facts, and and so you got to lean into that a little bit. And and speaking of which, let me ask you this then, because as a dynasty player, you got to find a way in some ways. Now I agree, trading back is the easiest way to to, to fade. The decision, right? And I will trade mm-hmm. back to fade the decision, um, you know. But mm-hmm. sometimes that's not even possible. I mean, basically everybody's like, "Nope, mm-hmm. let's see a pick here, bro." You know, like literally the league sometimes says that to you. Uh, you know, in yeah. so many words, like, "Nope, this is your pick, man. Let's see it, motherfucker." You know, and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 I don't know what to do." Um, nobody wants it, so you, sometimes you do have to make that choice. Uh, but when I'm uncertain, I try and trade back. But insofar as you have to choose. Number one, how are you choosing these quarterbacks, and or or at least tell me what order you have these guys in. I, I we can stick to the top five because I'm I'm dying to hear this. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, I haven't settled on an order yet. Hearsay. No, go ahead. I'm just I'm trying to. No, no, no. That's good. Um, I haven't settled on an order yet. Um, I I think like gun to my head. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, gun, gun to my head, I'm taking Lawrence first. Me too. Um, I, I don't think you can give up, right? I, I have questions about the profile. I have questions about the eliteness of the profile. I have questions about if you're trying to protect if if the if the bet is that Trevor Lawrence is really high upside, then I have quibbles. If the bet is that if the the argument is Trevor Lawrence is really high floor, then I have different answers, right? I have different ways to capture that. That's actually. That you know, that is my take, by the actually way. Actually, is higher. That floor. is my take, by the What's way, because because we had a we had a pod, me and Mark Mathic, uh, probably almost uh, two months ago, and on the pod, I asked him, "How confident are you?" This was the way I've coined the question. I I said, "How confident are you that Trevor Lawrence will be a top fifteen NFL quarterback?" In other words, how confident are you that he'll just be good? I didn't ask, mm-hmm. is he the best thing that's ever come along? Is it, you know, right. because I, that I don't, I don't, I don't know that. I don't know that at all. Mm-hmm. I can't, I don't know how to quantify that, but I was just looking right. at him as a prospect saying, what are the chances that he's dog shit? Right. And I don't mm-hmm. see that. Um, you know, I think one of the things that you kind of need to not be dog shit is a, is a pretty good head on your shoulders where you're coming into the league trying to be good. And then the second thing well, two things, obviously skill, but they basically all have that. And then the second thing would be organizational, uh, you know, structure, at least some semblance of organizational structure. That part is a little bit of a question for me, but I don't think the first part is, I think he's got all the skill in the world or, you know, at least enough to be 
well above average. And then I think he's got that sort of that thing where it's like he's going to come in and, you know, the old story was Jamarcus Russell. You, you've heard uh, Mike Lombardi tell this story because when he was in the front office of the Raiders and he's, he's verified it, I think, to be true, if I'm not mistaken, um, that they they sent Jamarcus Russell blank. This is back when VHS tapes, you know, they sent mm-hmm. him blank VHS tapes labeled like fucking Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs defensive, you know, play calling shit and whatnot. Sent them the 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 just there was nothing on them, and they said uh, they called him and it was like, hey man, what do you think of those? And he's like, oh fucking loved them, loved every bit of it. Great, great uh, defensive structure. That was great. The tapes were awesome. He didn't watch them, like he literally didn't watch them. So they knew that he was just not trying. Right? I don't think that that there's any of that in 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 Trevor. I think he's coming in with you know a full focused mind to try and be awesome. And it's whether or not he has the skill and the sort of structure around him. So I think you're right. He's got floor for sure. Yeah. And, and the question that I have is like, all right, if you're going to, if you're paying for floor, correct, uh, who's more likely to be better over the next five years, Trevor Lawrence or Matt Stafford. And for me, the answer is pretty clearly Matthew Stafford. Uh, and you're paying a, three, four round discount and super flex. Why are you doing that? My, my fear right? with Matt Stafford is back retirement, things like that. Not, not yeah. a skill. Yeah. But, so maybe Matt Stafford, not quite for me because he, that's the only fear for me. Matt Stafford is, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you, but he was also a num- number one overall pick. He was basically Trevor Lawrence yep. before Trevor Lawrence was Trevor Lawrence. People just forget that because they sour yep. on him and they're like, no, he's never sort of, right. he was Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know the other thing too, I think we we have to be really on top of the fact that we we're not infallible, right? So we even with more information, we can be bad, right? Right. I mean, you look at you look at the the miss rate on guys that hit once, and it's a fifty fifty bet if those guys ever do it again, right? Um, you know the Baker Mayfield, like we, you know, and this is a comp that I that I keep going back to, and I think it's really relevant right now with 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 uh, Trevor Lawrence is. Baker Mayfield. And when you look at Baker Mayfield after his first year, so after his rookie season, that following off season, he vaulted up to much higher in the position than, than Trevor Lawrence is going right now. He was going quarterback four, quarterback three. So I'm going quarterback two in a draft, right? I mean, he, he was a top five, top four quarterback by the time that off season was over. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. The whole nine, right? right? That's the most expensive we've really seen a non-proven quarterback. And that's a calamity to spend that startup pick on on Baker Mayfield, right? That's a disaster. <clears throat> and you are spending a, a more expensive pick now uh, on, a, on a player that was actually relative to the position as worse, <laughs> right? That, that has done less, right? That we've seen less of. I mean, that's just a mat for me. That's just a massive. That's a that's a that's a bet that I just don't want to make. And there's little upside on it, right? There's like there's little upside on it, right? You you. One of the things I did last year was I was like, there's no way I'm paying that price for Kyler Murray just because there's so much uncertainty. You know, there's there's all these things. It's the Baker Mayfield situation all over again. And he did well, right? I don't. I, he's not an all pro yet, but he did well. He was a good fantasy season. I still have plenty of questions, but. Right, he's not any more expensive than he was last year. Right, I mean, he's going to the same cost. Right, it's it's with these guys. I, the problem that I have is it's all right. All the ceilings baked in. Yeah, and I think and I think you, there's no. I floor. think when we're we're talking, we're talking about fantasy football, and what you have to do is you have to correlate 
fantasy football upside versus real football staying power. Cause like if you, if, if it was just the highest scoring fantasy quarterback would be, would be retaining his job and working the next year and starting, then Jameis Winston was safe. But because Jameis Winston wasn't an, an NFL good quarterback, but he was a great fantasy quarterback, he was fragile. And so we, we do that all the time, right? So, in this draft, we're looking at guys like, you know, like Justin Fields is kind of the, I guess, the case study. Maybe Trey Lance is more the case study because he has all the physical gifts and the um, and the, the the Konami Code upside rushing floor that we think will make him like an amazing fantasy asset. But we don't know he, North Dakota State didn't even play last year, like. I don't know if, if he can run an NFL offense. I don't know. I don't even know how I would know that. Like how, what, what could, we, like you say, like, you know, the, what's the data that you and I could be like, oh, just pull up the fucking, and there it is. Oh yeah, he's yeah. going to be good. Like there's nothing to, to know that by. It's literally a leap right. of faith. Like a maybe it's, is he, is he, you know, is he John Elway or is he, is he Jamarcus Russell? I don't know. I don't know which one he is. Like I have no clue, right? Like, we don't know until they're there. Like, you know, Steve Young wasn't Steve Young until he, like, got a chance. Like, he was a bench player. Brett Favre bounced around. I mean, all these guys, like, it's very difficult to tell when the guy is going to be that guy, right? Um, so mm-hmm. I'm with you 100%. So we're, we know that it – here's what here's what I'll say. We know that if, like, a guy like Trey Lance hits, then he hits huge. And it's the same thing with Kyler Murray, mm-hmm. right? Like, if he's good – He's an, a dope dynasty fantasy asset, right? If he doesn't hit, I, well, then it doesn't matter. So that's why you swing on upside on quarterback because, you know, uh, Kirk Cousins is easy to attain. Matt Ryan is easy to attain, so to speak. You know, Fitz, Fitzpatrick, whatever, whoever you want to you know, talk about. But to get the the access to, you know, the season Dak was going to give you last year, to get access to Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson seasons, Josh Allen seasons, you need to have that that Konami code upside. Josh Allen was was valuable, you know, going into last year. If he didn't have running upside, I mean, what the hell were we th- he was worthless. He could I mean, he he was terrible for 2 years, you know. So th- it's hard to sort of that's, you know, that was his fragility was the fact that if he can't make those throws, he's going to be out of the league, but if he can kind of hang on, he's a dope fantasy asset. Makes sense, right? Yeah, and and the thing that I would say too is what, what's interesting to me is I think you can break down these quarterbacks into like roughly, and this is sort of a theory I'm working on, so I'll test drive it here. You can roughly break these guys down into like three different buckets, right? You can break down the guys into like the pure pocket guys. Yep. You can break them into the the pocket guys that can run, and then you you break them. You, the third one is the running guys that can right, throw. Right, I agree with that. Yes, right? or that you that you kind of hope can throw. Right, right. It's some level of that, and each of them have different levels Correct. of you know of, of how good yes. they are. But those are like the three general prototypes. So you might have a guy like Baker, who's primarily a pocket yes. guy. Darnold's primarily a pocket guy. You know, Burrow or Herbert might have fit in the in the middle tier yes. there, right? They they can throw, but they also can run. Uh, and then you've got Lamar. you know Josh Allen and Lamar are basically the guys that that run that you sort of hope or, <laughs> yeah. you know that can throw, but they're they're primarily you think they're they're more running guys. Um, and, and for each of them, I think that the uh, you can right there's a different floor for each of them. So I think the the pure the pure passer 
it's a lower floor because if they can't run and they're not throwing, right, that's a prototype. And we've seen that with, with Drew Brees. We've seen that with Rivers. We've seen that with Matt Ryan. That type of profile tends to be a slower starter. Historically, the, the guys that – and typically for first-round quarterbacks, like if it's not done by year three, like it is – largely not happening right is the is the general rule Uh, if they haven't hit a top 12 season by year three like that's a precipice that's a you're standing on a cliff uh you know for guys like for guys like baker uh last year for guys like darnold last year you know they missed right that that jumps them from going about 50 or excuse me 47 percent hit rate down about an 11 percent so that's a huge that's a huge gap the guys that tend to be after that right the guys that tend to be after that are, are the matt ryans and the, the breeze and the um uh and rivers right because they they got slower starts some of that was situational but to really ascend to be a a, a passer takes some time uh and so you see like with the guys with the rushing guys like they can have a better uh you know they can have a better floor right josh allen was essentially a top 12 fantasy guy with very below expectation passing numbers. Right. Uh, and that was primarily because he was pounding in seven and a half rushing touchdowns a year, right? That that'll cure a lot of evils. or more. What do you have? Yeah, but what you exactly. don't see yeah. it, what, what you don't see is those guys hang around, right? I think you ultimately need, no matter what the profile is, you need the person to be uh, an expectation thrower. You need them to be, you need them to be able to reach a threshold level of being a starter, or they're going to lose their job. And so that's the interesting part when you get guys like, you know, with 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 Josh Allen. Like if yeah, he was hanging around for fantasy, but if he didn't, you know, if he didn't uh, hit, you know, the passing threshold that he did, or you know, maybe it was something less than that would have been sufficient. He was in trouble. It's going to be like yeah, yeah, he was in trouble. yeah, and like with Darnold right yeah. now, like. Like you can't, you can't invest. Like it's really tough to invest in that long term because now you're gonna have to pay him. You're gonna have to pay him, and you're gonna have to pay him like probably thirty million dollars over the next two years to see where you can sort of turn the switch and and start from scratch. And you got five years to develop the guy on a lot less money. <clears throat> and so that's the thing with these guys. And and one thing I you know I, I look at there's some very simple in the analytics of dynasty. One of the things that I like to do is have very simple rules. I like to oversimplify, but you know, where there are trends, like let's identify them and and stick to them. And one of the things we see at quarterback is uh, if guys haven't hit for a top 12 seasonal finish, they're in a, that's a much different range of success than guys that have. And then what you see from there is guys that hit for a top, really the guys that are true long-term difference-making NFL starters or difference-making fantasy guys are the guys that have hit for a top six seasonal finish in their career. And the hit rate from there on is, is really, really high. Um, and even the guys that, that hit that, um, you know, it's, it's really rare. What, what is exceedingly rare is the, the Derek Carr profile, which is the guy that never truly gets to an elite hit, but sort of hangs on as a starter. That's an exceedingly rare profile you tend to see those guys get replaced. Even Andy Dalton, which people would say is a pretty replacement level starter. He hit for the top six seasonal finish. And then he sort of hung on as, a, as basically a mid quarterback two for like five years. And that's a profile that, that, that hangs, right? That's something that we see once until these guys really hit that elite threshold. Like I'm very skeptical of paying for him. That's why I think, you know, I, I look at guys and I really look at the, I want the production, and I want them insulated. 
And so, you know, a, I let's call it a month ago, I had, you know, what I called the supermax quarterbacks. They're basically the quarterbacks that have done it and are on in a, you know, a big time, you know, the basically the NFL version of a supermax NBA contract, which is, you know, the huge extension with the team that drafted right. you. And I had basically three of them that I had really good longevity confidence in Dak Prescott, Patrick Mahomes, and Sean Watson. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, guys like Josh Allen are not there yet. Right. Josh, we haven't seen enough. No, I, I'm right? with you Just 100% for me. too. I'm with you hundred yeah. percent. And you know, you mentioned yeah. Derek Carr. So Kyler's the same way. Yeah. It's so funny. You mentioned Derek Carr. He has uh, in his entire career, he has had, he's never finished higher than QB 12 and he's never finished mm-hmm. lower than QB 20. He is the yeah. model of mediocrity, uh, you know, yeah. which has been good enough to keep his job. Right, because like Correct. he's good enough, where he's not like, oh my god, fucking Derek Carr, we get rid of him. But he's not good enough to win you anything. He's he's the perfect QB QB two in Superflex. He's just the like you say, steady as she goes. Very interesting. But yeah, you're up. You're right on the money, man. Can I can I pop a trivia question on oh, you? Oh boy, go for it. Who who was the best quarterback in the NFL from the pocket under no pressure last year? So basically, an unpressured pocket in terms of yards per attempt. Okay, uh, no pressure, clean, clean pocket. pocket, clean pocket, yards, like no play action, clean pocket clean yards pocket. per attempt. Yeah, that's ah, probably someone stupid like Jared Goff or something. Um, it's Derek Carr was it Derek Carr? I mean, it was going to be Goff Derek or Carr. Carr. I mean, I should have just said Carr. You want to know who the worst quarterback in? Like that's a that's a remarkable. It snap. really is because that's that's not aided, that, right? That hey, is. Wait, wait, when wait. You're, when you're this back is a, in the this is a Darren Waller tweet. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but but he's like Derek Carr is remarkable. Like it's an unbelievable profile because that's an elite stat, and that's really difficult to do because you're not. That's not masquerading. That's not you know. That's no play action, not under pressure. Like that's just you drop back and you throw. And he was the best in football. You, you, that's you incredible. think that may be a problem that his uh, entire offensive line has gone this year, maybe possibly. No, I think it's a problem that he's the worst quarterback. Uh, I mean, consistently over the past five years, he's the worst quarterback on play action, mm. which is an incredible statistic yeah. that he could be so good from a, basically a simple clean pocket without any aid of play action, but he can be so horrible. Uh, at, at play action. I was joking the other day with some subscribers in our group me chat that if, if only Derek Carr could be like, repl- you know, uh, like threshold level, like average starter play action, like he'd be a top six guy. Right. <laughs> like that's, it's just an incredible thing in terms of, in terms of some of the, the stuff that he can do. But yeah, I'm sort of like, it's a really rare profile. He's a, he's an exceedingly rare profile for sure, for um, sure for that to happen. And that's why like Baker gives me a hard time. Like Baker, I'm really worried about because that's a, that's a profile that like, you don't really hang on there unless you've done it. And you know, we've, and and you did the the Winston example. That's like one of the rarities of the guy that's gotten to an elite hit that sort of lost their job. Like it's really rare that that happens, and it's rare that you don't get to that and and maintain your job. So and Darnold's going through that right now. I, I think Baker's going to be okay. I really do. I think you know what he suffered through Hugh Jackson. You know he suffered through some really awful situations. You know he suffered through Freddie Kitchen. Um, you know, and and then he gets some good coaching. They're eleven and five. Um, you know, his his his, you know, his QBR uh, in his first two seasons was fifty one and fifty four. In year two was seventy two. So I mean, I think he was just able to be put in better situations. I mean, 
yards per attempt, uh, you know, only 7.7, but that was the best in his career last year. Um, his interception uh, rate went way down, which I think is kind of the big deal, right? Like, you know, he, he mistakes are what kill a quarterback. And I think, you know, if you have terrible leadership and guidance and coaching, uh, you're going to make a few more mistakes during the year, especially with bad play calling against the, 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 the right or wrong schemes, however you're looking at it. You know, when, when the defense – when the defense and defensive coordinator and the opposing team just kind of knows what you're doing and what you're up to, it makes it real hard. It makes it real hard, man. And this, especially in this league where everybody's so good, but if you can, you know, play to the advantage that you're given and take what the defense gives you a la Tom Brady, Bill Belichick for 20 years. I mean, they, they were prolific at times, but they were efficient to kill you, right? Uh, What's the, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts or whatever it is, you know, they, they just knew exactly how to win, you know, you know, a five yard play when it, when it needed to be a five yard play, not trying to pick up 15 when it's just, they're taking it from you. Right. So it's little things like that, that, that that's why a quarterback is hard to, to gauge because you you look at Baker's a great point, you know, 21 interceptions to eight, right. It's like, you know, a a QBR 51 to 72, a quarterback rating of 78 to 96. It's like, well, which guy is he? He's probably, you know, he's he's the good one, except if you give him shitty coaching, he's going to be bad, you know? I mean, and he's not elite, apparently, unless maybe he is, but probably not, you know? But he's probably good enough to to survive in the league and maybe thrive and win uh, with good coaching and, and good support. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, there's stability, a key question. But he got, he got the benefit of, and that's kind of one of the things with, with that system too, right? He's in that Stefanski system. That's a, that's, I don't know. I don't know if you have the play action numbers there too, but uh, I I remember the play action numbers in in 19, he was really good, but they didn't run it. And then Stefanski did run two tight end play action quite a bit. And I don't know if you have it there, if you were just reciting from Derek Carr, but I bet you uh, Baker was one of the best play action quarterbacks uh, in the NFL. You know, we're, we're doing all this talk about Baker and everybody else, but I, I, you know, you are really good at this because I remember asking you who your top five were and you just fucking danced. Uh, awesome job, man. You must be <laughs> a fantastic at your job. So, hey, give it to me. Just go for it. Just give me one through five and, and I'll follow up with mine. We'll go rapid fire. You give me your top five quarterbacks. I'll do mine. Ready, go. Gun, gun to my head. Give me Lawrence, uh, Fields, Lance, Wilson, and Mac Jones. Yeah. So, wow. Okay. So I have, let me, let me look where I have them right now. I'll just read from what I have. Cause I don't even want to f- think about what I actually have. Um, I have it right now. Lawrence for, for, for Lawrence Fields, Wilson, Jones, Lance. So what did you say? You said, what's Lawrence your concern Fields? with Lance? Uh, so I said, Lawrence Fields, Lance, uh, Wilson. Jones. Yeah. Damn it. I, so here's my – I don't have – my concerns for him is he hasn't played in a year. He played at a small school and, the, you know, the, this could be the the best thing that ever happened to him or it could be indicative of him not maybe having something that he needs to be a, a top, you know, quarterback. Uh, but when he went to uh, go – you know, this was brought up with the whole – racism thing recently but he went to go uh tr- you know try out or or visit and they asked him to change positions i think 24 7 scouting changed him from quarterback to athlete or something like that and asked him to play safety instead of quarterback and 
Then, then from there on, a power five school didn't recruit him any longer and all this nonsense with Trey Lance. I'm not saying that's indicative of him being good or bad. I'm just saying like, I don't know. I, you know, why wasn't, why didn't anybody want him and, and small school? I mean, it's just a little bit more of those red flags that you point up. Here's the problem I have. If he hits, I think he's maybe the best quarterback in the whole class. So for me, it's like hard because I'm, 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 and you write about this in, in your, in your writings and book is range of outcomes, right? Play the odds. Like what are the odds that he hits? I don't, I don't know what those odds are, but I feel like with some of those red flags, it, it just lowers his odds of being, uh, uh, you know, a, a hit. Now, I will say because I value, you know, where he goes, and like if if Kyle Shanahan drafts him number three overall, it solves two of my concerns. Number one is the system around him will be outstanding, and number two is a smart coaching staff saw whatever needed to be seen in him, and it quells that other concern I have. So, you know, I don't know, but if he if he slips a little bit, and then all of a sudden, I don't know. Detroit or something like, you know, what the hell, man, that's a, you know, or whatever. Right. So I've got concerns, but landing spot may change that. Like I said, I think Lance has at least as high a ceiling as anybody in this class. So those next four, I've been moving around and I've been letting people talk me into a lot of different things. I've literally been shuffling them around all off season. I don't know what the hell to do in those four though. I will probably practice what I just shared with you, which is trade back. Let someone else choose. I can't wait to take Whoever I, I took, I took Lance a couple of times already in uh, in some mock drafts that we've published because I'm in, I'm into all four of them. So I don't really have too many questions. I have questions about all of them. Um, I, I I just don't. I just I have the fewest questions about Fields and Lawrence. Um, you know, not this week, notwithstanding. I don't I don't know that any of those concerns. But but if the NFL, like, what was it? who was the idiot that said he got a fourth round grade? It's like. Uh, one of the one of the old crusty son of a bitches on NFL Network. I can't remember who it was. Doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. Right? Said he had a fourth round grade. It's like if you have a fourth round grade on Justin Fields, you should be fired. How's that? Right? As a scout or a GM, you should be fired instantaneously. Whoever told me that, he'd be like, "You're immediately fired. Leave." Right? I mean, what the fuck? Yeah, it's the that's probably the Ohio State um, typecasting going on. Yeah, that's right? So and stupid. that that would. It's so stupid. Like I would literally take all five of these guys, one, two, three, four, five in the draft. Like they're all elite quarterback prospects, but I will, I would bet, I would bet all my money that not all five of them pan out. I don't know which ones I literally don't. So for me, it's just like you're saying, we're, we're, we're trying to not fuck it up as opposed to pick the winner. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the interesting part. That's what make, that's what makes Mac Jones so interesting to me is like, like if he's going to be a top 10 guy and, you know, he's sort of getting that investment um, and we know that those guys perform a lot better than the guys not in the top 10. Uh, and you sort of look at that and you're like, all right, like it's a much different profile, but we know that they're random. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, what's the, if you were to sort of put a most likely outcome on this, like maybe one of them's a long-term like elite franchise guy, you know, you get, uh, you know, maybe you get two of them on like second contracts with their team and the odds that, that, um, you know, two additional ones get second contracts with their team, two of them flame out. Um, and the two that get second contracts with their team, one of those is going to be an albatross contract and the other one's going to be, um, you know, a good one. Right. I mean, that's kind of what the rates would be. And like, I'm not sure who of that's going to be what. And if you told me that, if you told me in five years that Mac Jones is the best 
quarterback of this class. Like I couldn't even tell you that that's unreasonable because right. like we're, we, we are this, it is this random, right? Is this, it's, it's this unpredictable. And I think in a market like that, in a situation like that, I think you need to be very wise about how you make that. Bet. You know, Mac Jones. Okay. Mac Jones went 13 and zero this year, won the national championship was 78%, 77% completion percentage, 11.2 yards per attempt, 4,500 yards, only four picks all season. Like he was just so good. His quarterback rating was 203. Um, you know, last year uh, in in uh, in relief, you know, he was as good as Tua. Uh, you know, he wasn't better than Tua last year, but he was better than Tua this year. But in relief, he played as well as Tua. Um I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like he did it with fewer receiving weapons this year than last year. I feel like he had he had a worse team. I mean, they had to have been as good, but I mean, he loses Jalen Waddle early early in the year, and they still go on to just dominate. And Devontae Smith wins a Heisman. You know, I don't know. I mean, it, it just feels like Joe Burrow all over again, where it's like, dude is good. Like he did it. Like he's good. Like what do you, what else do you want him to do? How what else could he have done? Like people say, well, he didn't, he didn't run. He completed 80% of his passes. Like where the fuck is he running? Right. Where do you want him to run to? Right. He ran a four, eight, like he's fast enough. I mean, the dad bod pictures and the fact that he, I don't know what the hell he's got to do. Like, I don't understand what's wrong with Mac Jones. That's the interesting thing is like, if you sort of look at him and Burrow, like what's the, what's the difference? I mean, legs what's the difference right yeah, rushing ability yeah that's got to yeah, be it right it. And, and i guess the quote leadership stuff out of burrow um <laughs> sure. I, I don't um yeah I, I, and so when you look at that you're like man like i don't know is, is his floor of his legs really that much different who, who had who and had again, better from, weapons i mean he had jamar chase justin jefferson right. and terrace marshall like i don't know that's right. pretty fucking good i mean we just said justin jefferson is the best receiver in the world and jamar chase is the clear number one and Terrace marshall is going to get drafted and he might be better than we all think just because he played behind all those guys i mean i'm not taking anything away from joe burrow because he was great in the nfl but how, how much worse is mac jones i mean he had Devonte smith four games of jalen waddle uh, what mechie and a couple guys i mean those are good players but they're not they're not jamar chase justin jefferson i mean Devonte was great the team was great but he played tough competition i mean how much was he aided by great weapons and great offensive line great running game i mean certainly some but 41 touchdowns four picks 77 percent completion percentage like i don't know he was aided that much i mean he was throwing dimes all over the place now maybe he's just a complete system quarterback who you know can't move out of his own way in the nfl can't move quick enough, doesn't have a big enough arm. All these things come true. I'll give you that, but I'm, I'm certainly not betting against him, especially if I can pick him fifth, uh, you know, uh, the fifth quarterback off the board in the late first round of, a, uh, you know, the, the Herbert rule, right? Like if he's there, click button, easy, easy button mm-hmm. press. Like that won't be a hesitation for me at all. Now, right. if he lands in San Francisco, which is kind of what I was going to ask you, this was one of the things on the show sheet. We didn't get to much of it because we were just, you know, sword fighting. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, if Mac Jones lands with the third pick in San Francisco, I think you said he was your fifth quarterback. Does that change things for you? Let's say let's say it goes Lawrence, um, Zach Wilson, and 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 uh, and and Mac Jones, 
And then, you know, you can put – we'll put uh, we'll put Denver and Carolina. Let's just say they, they the other two guys go to Denver and Carolina. Yeah. Um, Man, it's – that's – because I think his floor is really high. I At mean, that point, I think right? You're going to – you're going to a really good, a really good spot. And again, I, I think we overdo the predicting landing spot thing of how good the the quality of it is. I think we have enough sample size. And again, I rarely do this. I re- rarely say a spot's a good spot, but that's a good uh, spot. I think we have enough sample <laughs> yeah. size with him to say it's a, good, it's a good spot. Like maybe the last one that I said was a like a really good spot was Kamara. Like right. <laughs> so I do this not very infrequently with the good spot thing. That's a damn good spot. Yes. Um, I think I think they're going to take Trey Lance. Is my guess? Oh, that'd be cool. That San Francisco is going to take Trey Lance. Whoever they take, it's um, going to be so awesome waiting for that third pick to come in. That's going to be the that's going to yeah. be the magic moment of the draft. There's no doubt. I mean, San Francisco yeah. fans. I know I know some I, two of my very good friends, uh, Stoner and Term, are both San Francisco fans, and one of them wants Mac Jones, and the other one is ready to commit Hari Krishna or whatever the fuck it's called <laughs> if they take Mac Jones, and so. You know, they're, one of them's right, one of them's wrong, and I don't know which one it is. I'm not even I don't I don't have a, a, a horse in this race, but that's the kind of you know um, situation. I, I really would I, for me it'd be it'd be Justin Fields. I, I'm taking Justin Fields second. I mean, to me, it's just the 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 ceiling, the floor, everything's there. You know, the you know maybe if he's a complete knucklehead, but that's not that's not that doesn't make any sense. None of those things make any sense. He's he's the guy, and mm-hmm. to me, you know, just pencil him in at number two, but. You know, if he if he slips and and all these other things happen, if Trey Lance goes third to San Francisco, Trey Lance will not be my fifth quarterback. That's for sure. He'll probably be my second or third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like. I don't know. It's going to be a really tough tier. I, I guess what I would say is I'd feel much more comfortable being at five. Yeah, if that happens, <laughs> right? If if that if that's the scenario, like I'm fine being at five. Um, and it's going to be tough to pick in between there. I think super. Tough. I think Jones is probably going to be a little bit further down that line, just because. When you add it all up, I think I think some of those. I think he'd be fourth. Uh, maybe Wilson would be fifth. Um, you know, and could I debate having him a little bit higher? Maybe. Right? I think that would sort of be where he would lie. Um, you know, ultimately, I mean, that Denver spot's a really good landing spot. So is that Carolina. I agree. Spot, right? Those are two really. good That's landing why spots. I did that. Too. I, one of the, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing, the other thing too is like I actually, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I think um, Atlanta is really fascinating because. What would be what would be super interesting is if Mac Jones went three to San Francisco and then someone like Justin Fields went fifth to or excuse me, fourth to Atlanta. And at that point, like that might be a couple year window before we see that play. Yeah, that's a problem. And that's gonna create a huge value a value spread, I think. Yeah. Um so that's one of the situations I'm definitely like that's of the top five most significant stories. I think that at what Atlanta does at four is gonna be up there amongst all the most important things in the draft. I mean, if Atlanta does draft a quarterback, I'll get this take out. I know term would, would love me for this one, but the, 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 the tea leaves or as we call them here, the Silva leaves would, would tell us that, um, you know, Atlanta is not going to take a quarterback just because they restructured. Look, if they wanted to take a quarterback, the move would have been to just sort of suffer through this year, leave mm-hmm. Matt Ryan, his cap hit at like 50 million or whatever the fuck it was. It was so high and just suffer through it with under the rookie contract and then trade Matt Ryan next offseason where they could have gotten out of it a little bit more easily but instead they spread it they let him become a problem or an albatross contractually for I think two to three more years I I, I, I could look it up but trust me it's ugly uh it, it, they've got a huge cap hit to get rid of him you know next year or the year after so that means that 
taking that quarterback means they either have to do something really ugly to their cap, which is fine, I suppose, but why not just eat, bite that bullet this year if you're going to take a quarterback? You know what I'm saying? Like it, it would be a bad strategy move. It doesn't all line up. It lines up for them to not take a quarterback. So if they do, I think then I'll retroactively say that the restructuring of Matt Ryan's contract was a mistake. But, um, you know, that that's just they, – they, they restructured it, so I would think that they're going to go in another direction. But the problem is, is when are the, when are they going to be at, at, in this spot, in this position to just cl- press the button on a, on, a, on a quarterback like that? Maybe not in a, in a while. So that could be the reason they just can't resist. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sort of with you on that. I think I think that's a really and, – and in that division too, right? If you look a couple years out, that, that division – it's it's without Breeze. It's at some point going to be without yeah. Brady. Um, Good point. You know that's a that's a division that in three years in two in, um, you know Carolina in doesn't have a clear answer. Yeah, in twenty two you could win. Right. right, exactly. That's a great point. Right, right. that's right. wide open. Right. Very quickly. Great, great point. Yes, very quickly. And so the, the, how you sort of attack that's really interesting. Yes, great point. Well, there it is. Game theory and analytics going at it and agreeing at the end. Let's 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 agree to agree that that was the end of the show that was awesome man it was i could we could probably talk for quite a long time bro Uh, i had a great time you're obviously a pretty smart dude um you know we kind of knew that going in but this is our first time uh getting together and chopping it up i had a great time hopefully everybody uh listening had a great time uh jordan tell everybody where they can find you and how they can you know uh contribute to the cause and be part of the part of your group uh tell the people where you're at Yes, you can find me on Twitter at McNamara Dynasty. You can find the Analytics of Dynasty, the 2021 edition. A lot of good stuff in there for rookie drafts right now. I mean, that's that's a I think a good primer for rookie drafts in terms of how to think of them. Uh, look at different profiles to to attack, different profiles to fade. I think all those things are really valuable. Um, I have contributors this year too, and one of them did a uh, uh, Peter Howard actually wrote a uh, chapter on the metrics to look at, which is fascinating this time of year. It's super helpful. Uh, it's stuff that I go back to and I wanted someone to write that for the longest time. And I said, you know, well, why doesn't the analytics dynasty do that? And so that we have it. So really excited about that. Um, plenty of other good stuff in it. A lot of the strategy stuff we talked about, uh, as well. Um, and then you can find, so you can find all that at analytics And I actually also have, um, a subscription over there. So if you want to subscribe you get a copy of the book, um, and I do da- dynasty daily podcasts. So, I record a podcast. I release podcasts every day uh, on a different topic. And right now it's a lot of rookies. Um, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of strategy stuff over there. Um, and I have my dynasty tiers. Uh, I have my, the analytics of dynasty real draft position tracker. So it's tracking real drafts um, and you're getting up to, you know, you're getting up to date movements on player values, which is really important on guys like, you know, Deshaun Watson right now. And those, those types of players that have pretty big movements in their valuations, as well as the analytics of dynasty trade finder. Um, and I think it's the, you know, we've got over 6,000 dynasty leagues that we're pulling trades from, uh, and seeing, you know, on a daily basis movement in players. And it's really valuable because you see, again, you go back to Deshaun Watson and we launched it literally like the day that Deshaun Watson's stuff came out and we could just see in real time, the movement on Deshaun Watson's value. Um, it's been very, very valuable to have. Um, and my, my subscribers have been fortunate to, um, you know, benefit in some trades from that. So, so yeah, so you can find all that at analyticsdynasty.com. And uh, again, you can follow me on Twitter and then go check out the Football Guys podcast. Awesome. I mean, you know, Jordan showed up to the to the podcast sober, which was something that we don't always see <laughs> from myself or some of the guests. So that was really refreshing. You guys can really see it'd be a, a, a great idea to join his hive. He mentioned the GOAT, Peter Howard. Little known fact, I don't know, Jordan, if you're a listener, but uh, 
uh, Peter Howard was scheduled to make an appearance on, on this show and fell off a cruise ship. And uh, when he fell off the cruise ship, he sunk to the bottom of the ocean. He tried calling me and texting me from the bottom of the ocean, but his phone didn't work and wires got crossed. Next thing you know, he didn't make the, make the show. So we, we missed uh, Peter Howard on this show, but we're, we're, we're vowing to have him back on. He is the man when it comes to analytics. Uh, you know, the, the, the British cruise ship manager is just such an awesome dude. So love that guy. And, and to get him to do anything for you because he'll do whatever, you know, he's just such a great dude, but to get him to do something on your, on your, on your uh, website must've been awesome. So uh, go check that out at the analytics of dynasty. And on behalf of everybody at the undroppables go, you know, I never ask you for anything, but go uh, go rate, review, do something nice. Uh, go go to the analytics at Dynasty. Go check that shit out. Do something cool. Uh, but on, on behalf of everybody here at the Undroppables, at the Undrafted, Mike, Don Meg, and the whole team, we out.